0: of performance nutrition in this episode we welcome scott tyndall of tin lane one of the premium performance nutritionists in the world now you might have heard of scott because he's done a lot of work with a wide range of professional athletes and teams just to name a few team oracle of the america's cup yep yeah, you guys in san francisco will remember that the great comeback over the kiwis the Leicester Tigers Rugby Club, the Toronto Maple Leaf, various professional triathletes, GB rowing, and many, many more. With an MSc in sports medicine, postgrad work in nutrition, Scott is a massive resource. And with his new partnership with Purple Patch, I think he's going to become a highly valuable resource for all of us around education and nutrition. Today, we chew the fat a little bit, get into the broad subject of nutrition And I think you're going to love his ability to speak clearly, dilute the complex down to the accessible, and of course, his obvious expertise across the whole performance spectrum. It's a really fun chat. I even make fun of his accent, which coming from me is really a little bit outrageous, don't you think? We're going to follow this discussion today with part two next week, where we're going to rip apart some very modular basics in nutrition highly valuable once again no need for intros next week we just dive right into the content but today it's a great crack at a highly confusing and often complex subject and of course it's always one that is off on the top of the list for you guys the listeners and so i think you're going to enjoy but before we do i've got a couple of things to tell you about in the squatty update mm-hmm. Yes, guys, the Squatty Update. And this week, I've got a couple of big events that I want to tell you about. The first, a bike clinic. A bike clinic with who? Well, with yours truly, with me. September the 16th, 7 a.m. Pacific. Now, I'm getting a little old and there's way too many very, very fit people out there. And so this is a virtual event in which we're going to go through and. All you need is a bike trainer, a way to get on the internet with a little bit of video access and of course your bicycle to sit on the trainer. We're going to go through posture, pedaling, a whole immersive education and even a little bit of Pet Shop Boys. Yes, two or more hours of immersive and intimate coaching with me. Now, that coaching, bi-directional and of course it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We've just launched this thing, we just posted it yesterday, and we're over half full, but I really wanted to bubble it up to you loyal listeners so that you can get in. There are only 35 spots, and so this is going to go very, very quickly, I'm afraid to tell you. Well, how's it going to work? Well, we're going to begin the session with education we're going to talk about posture and pedaling and different cues to give you feedback so that you can get into really good riding form, but also be able to carry those habits into your future training. We're also going to go through different styles of training and pedaling in that training, because then following the educational session, we are going to hit it. Bottoms open, full gas each rider at their own appropriate intensity but we're going to mix education with real coaching and of course some banging tunes to boot it's going to be a real purple patch session an immersive experience coming right from the brand new purple patch center yes with all of the fancy cameras and the backdrops and a real live coaching session where you're going to get feedback while also being stretched a little bit in that way of course everyone's going to be successful. At the end boom recover little breather maybe a shake and then we're going to head into a full live q a session all around performance and frankly anything you'd like to really ask me now we want to keep this really intimate and high quality so that you the participant can truly learn and get real feedback while of course having a whole lot of fun right from your home september the 16th 7am pacific you can sign up via the link in the show notes or of course if you get confused or stuck just ping us an email info at purplepatchfitness.com and we will get you in now speaking of experts ivan o'gorman i am sure ivan is a future podcast guest and he is a character but more importantly he is one of the premium bike fit experts in the industry If you're watching or following the Tour de France right now, Ivan and his team have worked with many of the teams and the riders at that tour. As well as this, he and the team have also worked with the who's who of professional triathlon racing. Almost anyone you follow in the sport has worked with Ivan and the team. Now, they're all based over in Boulder, Colorado, but they're now open for business at their second location, and guess where that is the purple patch center in san francisco and they're coming into town slots are available but they are going to be slim pickings september the 22nd 23rd and 24th open to purple patch athletes and non-purple patch athletes alike you don't have to be registered as a purple patch athlete to take advantage of the services a completely covid safe environment in a brand spanking new center it doesn't get more sterile than that folks all at purple patch right in the heart of the mission in san francisco if you want to get involved all you have to do is head to ivanogorman.com that's i v a n ogorman.com. We'll put it in the show notes, of course. And when you get to the website, head down, go to the San Francisco office, and you can choose the services available. Now, with those two squatty updates, I'd love to meet you at the center when you're taking advantage of Ivan o'gorman services, or of course, I'd like to see you from wherever you're at on September the sixteenth with the bike clinic. Get involved in those. But now, Barry. Sticking out of my top pocket, I think it's time for you to bring out the ukulele. It's Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dixonary Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week this week is PhD. PhD. Really, to be a performance expert, you have to go and study one of those? No, this week I just want to read you something because, oh, it's humbling and it's going to feel a little egotistical to write it. But I mean this because sometimes you just get a letter that really makes your heart go boom. And today, Ariana, you made my heart go boom. And so I can't help it. I just feel like I've got to read this to all of the listeners because sometimes. The impact is great. Dear Matt, I'm an Italian expat living in Germany and struggling through her PhD. I had the luck to bump into your podcast while browsing Spotify. Goodness me, that was terrific that you found it browsing Spotify. That's super to hear. I'm by no means an athlete, just a girl who does a bit of triathlon because she likes it and find it, finds it fun. Your words have accompanied me during the training sessions in preparation for a half Ironman. And, of course, they keep me dreaming Iron Man one day. But this isn't the reason that I'm writing to you. The reason is failure. More specifically, how you approach the fa- feeling of failure in one of your episodes. You say that you aim for each listener to reach their human potential through the lenses of sport. But let me say this, you actually helped me do it. I was going through a rough patch, not purple at all, With my career at the phd and after long months of working overtime i was asked to face a new challenge straight after and my job was too serious i just stopped enjoying the process i needed rest but i ignored it i kept pushing and pushing and pushing and day by day i became less and less happy you see phd isn't a sport but it does have many things in common it takes so much of you in terms of time and energy and is driven by passion There are no other reasons why you should put yourself through four years of grad school in a foreign country far away from anyone you know but passion. And somehow I completely lost it. My supervisor noticed my decreasing performance and came to me, surely not with grace and empathy, despite his lack of communication skills, which made everything worse. He was right. I was just wandering without direction. I'd lost all the joy and panic. It was in these dark days I went for a long run and listened to the podcast. You were talking about a failure in sport, and it resonated so much. Your words helped me reset as a person, even before then as a PhD student. I went back to the simple, eat, sleep, work hard, recharge. I started training again, just enough to feel go. I put away all the fences, I asked for help, I nailed the basics, and I trusted the process ariana continues but the key thing at the end i now know that i'm back to my true self because i started dreaming again i dreamed to graduate i dreamed to do the iron man and i wish if i did i believe it wasn't worth it thank you so much with sincere gratitude ariana no ariana thank you so much because beyond listening you actually took it to heart this is what it's all about It's not about PRs or start lines. That's just a part of it. It's about performance in life and it's about thriving. And it lifted my spirits and lifted my day when guess what? I was actually having kind of a tough day. So thank you, Ariana, and best of luck. Go forth and do a great PhD. That's why it is the word of the week. Now, let's get on to Scott and the meat and potatoes. (laughs) Yes, it is The Meat and Potatoes. And today, well, it's a special guest. It's a friend of mine that I've known for a long, long time, worked uh, with uh, Scott Tyndall for a lot of time, a well renowned performance nutritionist, the unfortunate side of it. Scott, welcome today, but you're Australian, so we're going to have to navigate that part of it. But Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Matty. Um, Despite the introduction, I will Take those kind words.
0: Well, I, I tell you what, before we get going, there's, there's, you actually do have an honour here outside of a couple of my pro athletes. You are the first Australian to uh, to join us on the show, I think. And that's really useful for me because I've lived in the States since 1992. And one of the burdens that I've carried is that a lot of Americans tend to mistake me for Australian and so today, once and for all, we can really hear, the listeners can really hear my, my pure English accent versus your muddy, disgusting Australian accent, which I think will help all the listeners globally.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll fly the flag for Australia, but I'm pretty sure that uh, most Americans will agree that the Australian accent is uh, slightly sexier than the English accent.
0: Oh, well, well, we shall see. But... To, uh, to remind the listeners, we, we are here today to talk about nutrition within the big scope of of performance globally. And I'm going to ask you to go through your um, your background, et cetera. But I think the one thing that's really interesting for people to know first is you're, you originated as a physiotherapist. You had an MSc in sports medicine and uh, a postgrad in performance nutrition. So I think that you have a, a really global lens on performance and of course, a very targeted lens within performance of nutrition. I find that really appealing. But the second thing that I think is really important for listeners to appreciate as well is the broad scope of world-class sport that you've worked in from team sports with rugby and cricket, uh, rowing, boxing, sailing with the America's Cup team and the, the legendary America's Cup team, I might add, with, uh, with the great comeback that the Americans had. Uh, MMA, ice hockey, and and now of course I'm a lot of triathlons. So you've got you certainly got a, a broad lens to apply or draw from in your world of nutrition. Eh?
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's funny when you read it out like that. And uh, you know, if I if I do have time to sort of sit down and reflect on it, it's been a really, really interesting journey into, um, you know, the world of, I guess, sports medicine as a a broad umbrella term. And, um, you know, I think from playing sport at an early age to then being involved with, you know, these professional sporting organisations, it's given me a great sort of, you know, background and at least a a platform to then, you know, apply the practical knowledge to, you know, whoever it is that I'm, I'm working with at the time.
0: And it's you know we we met each other some years ago now when you were based in San Francisco working with the team of America's Cup when the uh, when the uh, the cup was actually obviously in the Bay of San Francisco, and then more recently uh, your really in depth work the great work that you've done with Purple Patch Pro Serape and Piano which we'll we'll get into but of course now extended into through your company Tin Lane uh you're extending to to many many purple patch athletes and i guess we should we should be honest up front and there's no reason to hide it but uh transparent i guess is the word that we now have a, a great partnership Tin lane and, and yourself are coming on board with purple patch to extend nutrition services to all athletes not just purple patch athletes but all athletes so we're really excited for this partnership and looking forward and i think this is today in many ways the first step chance for us to sort of get involved and uh, have a little bit of a chin wag and also a little bit of education. So I guess I'm going to use this opportunity before we get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation to officially welcome you to Purple Patch.
1: Thank you, Maddie. Um, uh, it, it really is exciting to, you know, from what you said, you know, where we first met, I think at, uh, was it was at the fire station, coffee shop. In San it Francisco? Was, it was. by station with, uh, I remember Sarah was like, okay, you're going to have to meet Maddie, and he's going to have to sort of, you know, vet you, I guess, and uh, <laughs> make sure you're all right. And then I remember sitting down, having coffee, talking very openly and uh, frankly with you. And uh, you obviously grilled me about many, many things. And, you know, it was from that sort of point on, that uh, that relationship started to to bloom. And then I think from... You know those many years it it's now come to the point where that program is fully functioning and it's it's not just you know people like like I love Sarah and I love working with her and it's it's so exciting to now put in place those uh measures that we used and refined with Sarah to you know the everyday uh, triathlete and not not just the purple patch you know media group but everyone out there
0: yeah and and you know. It's funny that you you remind me of that because I I do really remember grilling you and and I think there's a point to be made there you know you were you were going to be working with Sarah and more broadly I see a part of my role our role at Purple Patch to be a filter a filter of education a filter of information whether it's equipment whether it's a subject like recovery or of course as we're talking about today nutrition And and I take that very seriously. And so uh, what became immediate within five minutes of talking to you was not only does this guy pass the sniff test, I'm going to learn a lot from him. But uh, but of course, I did my best to grill you as much as I could for the coming hour, because I think I take that responsibility very seriously. So I really thank you for reminding me of that, because that's important. But um, but let's get cracking today and as I do with with all guests I think it's really good for listeners to have a grounding of your background and uh, beyond your filthy accent betraying you why, why don't you just give us a, a quick snapshot into your, your upbringing your family where you grew up and uh, and all the way through to sort of where you where you started to move into uh, higher education.
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up in country, New South Wales, uh, in on the east coast of Australia, and uh, my mum is Sandra Lynn, my dad is Rick, I have uh, two sisters, Cassandra and Rowena, um, I'm the youngest. And uh, you know I grew up in a town of about 1,400 people in a small town called Holbrook, uh, which was once called Germantown, actually, prior to World uh-huh. War II, I think, but they obviously had to change the name. Uh, and then actually dad was a vet. So, you know, I was always surrounded by animals and the whatnot. And, uh, we ended up living on a farm. It was a small farm of about 3000 acres, um, outside of a town called Wagga Wagga. Um, but you know, just, it was a pretty humble sort of life and growing up in the country. And, you know, because of that, I think my parents uh, decided that I probably needed to be sent away to boarding school at age 12 and, I ended up going to a, a you know a private boarding school in Sydney, so I was lucky enough to attend that, and you know that was that was probably a huge change in my life. I think what it presented mm-hmm. in terms of education and opportunity, and that sort of I guess got the ball rolling in in that aspect or that part of my life.
0: Yeah, and uh, how about how about sports growing up? Were you were you sort of uh, a typical Aussie? I'm sure you, I know you were sporty, but but. How did it all start? What sort of things were you into?
1: Yeah, I think uh, pretty much meat and potatoes. If you want to talk about that, in when we were growing up, it was pretty much cricket in summer, and you know, I grew up down near. It was It was New South Wales, but it was close to the Victorian border, which is where AFL Aussie Rules was played. So I grew up playing Aussie Rules until I went to boarding school, and then and rugby league, and then. Uh, the school I was at was very much focused on rugby union. So I took up rugby union and sort of uh, grew to love that sport a lot and uh, was lucky enough to be all right at it, I guess. And I played uh, scrum half at number nine and uh, represented my state and my country at sort of uh, junior level and barbarian level and whatnot. And uh, you know, that was, it was a very fun part of my life growing up through high school and through university. Unfortunately, I, had a major knee injury, rupturing my ACL and MCL, and I think oh, both yeah, meniscus yeah. at the time, and uh, you know that was sort of the end of the... Cool. that.
0: Go, that's that's enough to end it, isn't it? So yeah, well, well, let's go to let's go to the nutritionist side. When when did you first sort of tell me about your journey getting into this field?
1: Yeah, so Matty, you mentioned. I actually started with physiotherapy, uh, so I studied at the University of Sydney, and that was a you know four-year degree, mm-hmm. and got my bachelor's in physio, and moved across to England uh, shortly afterwards, and was lucky enough that uh, I got into the master's program for sports exercise medicine at the University of London, uh, St. Mary's, and um, it was... You know, that was probably the turning point because we I remember doing specifically a module on nutrition at the time. And it was sort of like that aha moment of, wow, this is so important to, you know, not just uh, like physiotherapy from that standpoint and uh, injury recovery, but just to health in general. And I think at that point, I sort of started getting much more interested in nutrition and Saying that actually I probably had more of an interest in that than actual physiotherapy, and so then that sort of started the ball rolling. I met and was friends with um, Dr. Laurent Bannock, who uh, ran or he runs the what is it the Institute of um, I think Optimum Nutrition or Optimum Performance now I think it's been rebranded in London, and he was setting up a postgraduate diploma at the time. Uh, through the University of Westminster. And it was with the International Society of Sports Nutrition as well. And he put on this program for the first time and he said, look, you know, it would be great to have you come and study. And it it was a game changer. I mean, we had every, if you read any nutrition papers, I mean, we just had every lecturer come in. We had Dr. James Morton, Dr. Graham Close, Dr. Lee Breen, Dr. Kevin Tipton, Dr. Scott Robinson, Laurent himself. And, you know, they're all exceptional researchers, but they're all exceptional practitioners. And so it was, it was taking it from, you know, that research application or research sort of element, but actually, you know, being taught by guys who actually work with, you know, professional athletes and, prof- and real people. And mm-hmm. I think that, that was a game changer for me.
0: It's funny, I sort of picked a couple of things out of that. And maybe the word that I would use is applied so much. Uh, earlier, you said, you know, going from physical therapy, and that they're not really been the link. And I think you're studying a similar time to, to me, likely where everything was so uh, exclusive of one another there, there was sort of not this mindset of of one thing having an input on another yeah and um, of course the world is changing on that and then the second side of it when I was doing my master's degree in exercise physiology it, it was so research driven without the application side of it which which it really sounds like you had this you put yourself in this really fortuitous environment where the application was really sort of alive and kicking yeah
1: yeah 100 percent. and look i think there's what was I, I was listening to actually lauren talk and you know you can talk about research backed um you know research backed evidence and um and so on but he sort of you know talks more about research informed And I think the end of the day, like you can read so much research out there, but it's how you then apply that to the real world. And I think so often you'll see people talking about a certain study and saying, oh, but this is it. And it's like, no, you have to read that in context and actually take that and apply that to the individual athlete and see how that, you know, works in the real world. And, you know, a great example of that is things like branch chain amino acids and where, you know, if they're taken in isolation, okay, they, they probably aren't going to have the effect that so many people talk about. But the reality is, is you're never just consuming branch chain amino acids on in isolation. You know, you're, you're probably going to be contained consuming some other type of protein and that mm-hmm. whole amino acid profile could be boosted by BCAAs if, you know, if it is required, if the protein source isn't actually of good quality. So it's, you know what you read in a paper, and where it's very tightly controlled, probably isn't always going to be the real world and what an athlete is actually doing. And it, I think it's exactly. really important for the, you know the the general public to appreciate that and understand that as well.
0: And, and I would add to that, coaches. You know, they always evidence based coaching, and it's <laughs> uh, that sometimes we have to wait for the evidence to catch up with what coaches know. On the other right. side of it, and uh, and so I, I absolutely love that that phrase of being evidence-informed, I think that's, that's, that's powerful. How about you, you yourself dipping into professional sport? I mean, you, as I, as I mentioned in the introduction, you most recently in the Maple Leafs, but but professional rugby, America's Cup, professional triathletes, it goes on and on. When was your first sort of break into the more world-class arena?
1: Uh, It it certainly came when I was in London and actually studying, doing my MSc. uh, We were very lucky to have Dr. Zoe Hudson as she was the um, sort of the program coordinator and she had a lot of uh, influence working within sort of the Olympics. Um, I think she'd done three or four Olympic campaigns previously and had really good links to GB um, sort of sports. And so as a result of my master's, I was then able to work with Great Britain Rowing for the men's lightweights and the women's uh, heavyweight and lightweight and do some camps with them. And that was probably the first insight into that. And then after completing my master's, um, I graduated with distinction and was invited to go up to Leicester Tigers and have an interview with them. And Weirdly enough, they were being coached by uh, a great Australian or ex-Wallaby, Paddy Howard, and I think he welcomed the Aussie accent. And uh, I got the job, and that was about it. So, and then from going from Leicester, who at the time were a real powerhouse. I mean, they were European sort of champions, um, national champions. The entire team was, you know, not just from one to fifteen, but you know, all the reserves were international players, and it, it was just a fantastic you know, environment of competitiveness to be involved with and really it gave me an insight into sort of that high-pressure, um, high-functioning sort of sporting environment.
0: And and for the the listeners that are <clears throat> less familiar with uh, with rugby, Leicester Tigers really are a, a legendary team in rugby. So... Um, uh,
1: they used to be. <laughs> they haven't, well, they,
0: that, that's, that's very...
1: They haven't, yeah. uh, they haven't had a good few years actually it's uh, it's been a little bit disappointing to watch their demise actually but uh, you know i guess with every team they have their good years and they have their bad years i mean
0: well if i were you i would claim it was your departure that that was the (laughs) catalyst but uh i'm not sure we can be so quite so bold tell me about your your latest venture and uh how how it got started so that and then we're going to dive into the real subject the thoughts on nutrition but love to hear about your latest
1: yeah. There, there's two things. Uh, so before we get, yeah. So there's two things that I'm doing at the moment. one is working for a company called true protein um, mm-hmm. and actually doing product development and working as their performance nutritionist. And I first uh, was made aware of true protein when actually I was moving to Bermuda for the America's cup. Um, and a friend of mine actually contacted me and said, did you know that um, a friend of his Ben Kirith, had set up a, a supplements company in Australia and, it was called True Protein, and I should reach out to them to see if they would be interested in sponsoring uh, Oracle Team USA. I, you know, had some back and forth with Ben, and he, weirdly enough, agreed, even though the company had only been going for you know I think a year, and I don't think he quite realised the enormity of uh, the contract in order to get supplements sent from Sydney to Bermuda. So you know, immediately I, I had a lot of faith in this company that they were managing to do that. And the, the company itself is just one built on the highest of standards. And so now working within it and producing products with them, um, it, it's, yeah, it's a fantastic company. I think some of uh, Purple Patch clients have started to actually uh, order from True Protein mm-hmm. and they, they're now getting that, uh, that quality into the usa and i think it will be i think it's only a matter of time before you see a lot more of true protein across america so that's sort of uh, one aspect of what i'm doing and then the other one is uh as you mentioned tin lane uh which is the online nutrition uh company that i have been working with a number of um, purple patch athletes and um other triathlete athletes um around america actually majority of my business is actually focused in america and Mm-hmm. It's all online nutrition, uh, and it mirrors effectively what you do. You know, on, on today's plan, it it mirrors their training program. So that it's a very simple system whereby they can see a colour coding uh, system which relates to carbohydrate intake, and um, yeah, it works very effectively.
0: Well, and we'll get into that a little bit later because I think I think that will be really helpful for people to. To to sort of appreciate and learn uh, because it's such a um, it's one of those uh, taking complex and making simple which we'll certainly chat about. Now, what I want to do is switch gears. I think it's a it's a good introduction. I want to talk about nutrition. This yep. uh, this this show is education, and so let's uh, let's hopefully have you uh, have you educate. And you're going to have to bear with me on this. It's a big question, and I, I know that I can be wordy but this is a question because most listeners to the show are really familiar with the purple patch pillars of performance. And namely to that, that we feel like when we get their performance recipe right of a smart endurance training program, integrated strength, sound recovery, and of course the aspects of nutrition, there we are, the athlete accelerates every time. And, you know, But the other end of the scale from quick fixes and magic pills, et cetera, et cetera, the recipe of performance is really anchored around these four pillars, as we like to call them. In addition to that, I tend to look at nutrition, the pillar part of that, and I break it down into daily eating and fueling around workouts, including obviously following workouts, hydration in the day and hydration during sport. That's me. And you are the expert in this pillar, so I'd love your insights in how you see nutrition fitting in the whole puzzle of
1: performance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's. Um, I mean, it, it. I mean, you pretty much covered it there, though. It, it's not a. It's not a magic pill. Like it's just part of that puzzle, and I think it, it's. It's a very important part of the puzzle that. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people place a lot of importance on and you know what I, what I've seen certainly working with triathletes is they know their training back to front they certainly know their uh, their gear uh, from the bikes and the shoes and everything like that and they they're willing to put a lot of effort and um, and certainly money into those but when it comes to the nutrition element, I find that they're often prepared to try and wing it themselves as well um, based on whether that's social media information or, or things that they are read. And I think when the nutrition is simplified and a lot of the BS is taken out of it, that you start to see real improvements in, as you said, the athlete's health. And as a result of that health being improved, you see improvements in performance.
0: And, and do you think some of the, athlete winging it a little bit is down to confusion uh, getting pulled in lots of directions it's it is a subject that very quickly you can go down rabbit
1: holes yeah 100 percent. and i think it's it is confusing i think even for a lot of practitioners there is so much information out there and you've only got to look at the acceleration of research occurring and Fortunately or unfortunately, the rate at which papers are getting published, <clears throat> and not all those papers are necessarily being uh, peer reviewed, or at least to the to the extent that perhaps they should be. And anyone can search that now, and you know, with the, with the way the world is in terms of information overload, it, it it can become very very confusing. So I think you know it's a bit like someone you know trying to map out probably their entire training program for. A triathlon season you know they could do it themselves or they could come and speak to someone like you who does that for their job and and probably simplify it for them and take the stress out of it
0: yeah i think there's it's, it's another field that is really prone to what i call a uh, testimonial bullshit as well it's like when it works my uncle john or it or it's you know i did this and i felt great type thing and um and i think that's part of the problem but uh Yeah. But let me, let me ask you this as well, because we, we sort of, you mentioned triathletes and I have a feeling that a lot of, or an observation more than anything, a lot of athletes view nutrition as a pure route to racing faster. Hmm. And so part of the performance puzzle, et cetera, et cetera. And now you've worked with, so many professional athletes, but also people from all walks of life. And we're having this conversation right in the heart of 2020. And everyone knows what I mean by that. I'm assuming yes, but do you think that nutrition also goes well beyond sports performance, even for athletes?
1: A hundred percent. And I think it, it's the thing that's not being talked about at the moment. I think everyone is so, fo- again, like without getting too deep into this, but everyone is so focused at this point in time on disease and worried about, you know, oh, this disease that, you know, what is it going to do to me without being focused on health and what that can do for them. Now, I mean, you only have to look at what the CDC released today in terms of. You know, coexisting uh, disease processes within those who have died, and it's something like two point five or two point six. Um, you know, coexisting conditions uh, were exhibited in people who were dying of, you know, COVID. And I think if you are a healthy, you know, robust individual, the chances of something like this disease process potentially killing you or at least causing a lot of issues are certainly going to be diminished. And, you know, we need to as a society and as a, a population of actually start to focus on health as, you know, first and foremost, the best way of, you know, avoiding disease. And I just, I just don't think it's being talked at at the level that it should be. You know, the focus is on vaccines and things like that, but there's so much you can do. From a health standpoint, <clears throat> to actually you know make yourself resilient and you you talk about resilience and robustness a lot, and I just think it it's you know no different from a in a, in a health and nutrition standpoint that we should be focusing on that
0: but before the show we we're sort of talking about a a platform of health on which sits performance yeah and and I think that can you go into that a little, just a little deeper, not, not too deep, but you know, even for a, let's call it world-class athlete, their their performance globally is going to have to sit on a platform of health. <clears throat> so, and nutrition is a hugely important component of building that health. And uh, so, so I'd love you to just go into that a little bit, what you mean.
1: Yeah, I think like. The way the way I look at it is that if you have a healthy athlete, you're going to have an athlete who is going to perform well. And I think from like the pillars of where I'm coming from with my program and Dr. Graham Close, who you know is a world-renowned uh, nutrition expert, you know his number one mantra was "do no harm," and mm-hmm. that certainly resonates with me. I think anything that I am going to be recommending. Is going to be certainly nothing that's going to do any damage or you know hurt the athlete, so I think that's first and foremost, and I think that's really really important to, to firstly understand. And then the second one, in terms of those pillars, is that health is paramount, and because a healthy athlete is ultimately going to be a highly you know performing athlete, and that health aspect you know that that comes down from establishing you know, baselines early on from, you know, your regular blood tests through to whether it's body composition and understanding that, um, whether it's a metabolic testing and, and getting a better insight into actually how you're functioning as a human being and then laying the foundation to then put in, you know, the effort to then work on your performance. But, you know, the performance is just going to follow, and, and all the, you know, the the sweat testing, the carbohydrate sort of utilisation, all the fancy stuff that you go into, you know, they're, they're like the sprinkles, I guess, on top. But you've got to get that, that base of just really good health going first, I believe, in order to be, you know, a highly performing athlete.
0: I'm so glad you said that because what you just basically said is that there is the heartbeat i think of of how i look at performance and in fact one of the things i care so much about recovery and i know i've got this earned uh, label of being sort of the recovery coach is that athletes can athletes are very very good at working hard they're very very good at accumulating training <clears throat> They're less good at focusing on the supporting elements. I I I, I think less they devalue nutrition as much as they it becomes an afterthought because the obsessive side always chases. They're not very good at embracing recovery because it becomes an afterthought relative to working hard. And we can tilt that from world-class performance to people just looking to thrive in life with work performance showing themselves showing up for themselves the best version that they can for their family when it comes to recovery and sleep when it comes to a platform of really really simple but important elements of of eating nutrition of course and without that it doesn't matter what equipment you're using, what metrics you're, you're tracking with your obsession, etc. it's all going to fall to pieces. And so whether we're talking about world-class performance or just performance in life, I think it's absolutely fundamental to get first, and then you can build almost specificity off it. I think that's, that's obviously so important.
1: Yeah, look, i, the, I tell you one of the, the most interesting things for me, and, and this is upon reflection, is like, as a physiotherapist, for instance, you you could create instant gratification with the client as well. So they came in with a sore neck. They would hopefully leave without a sore neck. They would have a, you know, a busted knee or whatever, and you would do things that would make it feel better immediately. And I think the biggest distinction and biggest learning um, point for me and probably for a lot of people is that nutrition is not a quick fix either. And that's what you have to get your head around is that, you know, by applying certain principles to your life um, and starting to make those changes, it takes a little bit of time for it to kick in. And so you, you, I think that's where the issue lies with nutrition is that it doesn't provide that instant gratification or satisfaction for the client. So it's an afterthought, whereas, you know, jumping on the bike and absolutely smashing yourself with, you know, some, you know, zone five intervals you, you get that sense of it worked really well, and so I think that you know how to think about nutrition and how it's actually going to have the long term effect is is something really really important for the athlete to get their head around.
0: I, I, I really think it is. I'd love to I'd love to dive forward and yeah. um, I want to talk a, a little bit about breaking down nutrition because I think what we just did was hammer the importance of nutrition. What what are the for a performance-driven person, and again, I think this is world-class athlete to fitness enthusiasts that would never line the dream of coming to a start line almost, what are the elements of nutrition that are really important to get right?
1: Um, I think what's the, what's the best place to start with nutrition? I mean, for me, I like, I like baselines firstly. I like understanding where someone's starting. And you probably you could argue that maybe that's not specific to nutrition, but what I'm talking about there is getting getting an understanding of who that individual is. So, you know, if we want to start with something like uh, even a food diary, because if if we don't understand all that, individual doesn't understand what they're eating and the effect of that on their body, then it, it you're sort of just going to go round and round and round. Whereas if you can actually start to quantify what's actually happening, then things become real. So I think getting, establishing some baselines. So whether that's a, a food diary or some sort of food tracking, whether it's app like my Fitness pal or something like that, I think that's very, very important. I think some sort of uh, body composition, um, baselines are very important. Now, whether you go and get a DEXA scan or whether you just use girth measurements or simply the bathroom scale, I do believe that there is an element to that that needs to be applied as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, you know you can get tricky. You can go and get a metabolic cart and work out resting metabolic rates and all those things. But again, they, you know, that might be a little bit too much for the, you know, if it's just the average athlete who is looking to just trying to improve their general nutrition. And then I think it's really starting to understand, you know, a how much energy or how much food do they need based on what their requirements are, and then understanding how if we break down those simple you know if we break down energy into calories how do those calories affect their day-to-day performance in the long term
0: interesting and how when do you look at components such as breaking it down from calories to something i'm going to i'm going to go here now but uh into macronutrients and and listeners that's that's carbohydrates fats and proteins so types of foods or ratios or timing uh role of hydration how how does that sort of break down is that is that a big part of it
1: yeah i think it is i think you know the sooner you can get into a little bit of you know what is actually necessary for that individual to perform and to be healthy then i think the sooner, the better. I think uh, I love the quote: "If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself." By um, the very wise Albert Einstein, and mm-hmm. I think you still should be able to break it down, you know, simply into the importance of protein, the importance of fat, the importance of carbohydrates, and how those macronutrients will confer, you know, health for the individual. But then ultimately, how they relate to performance, and you know, it is important to have education and understanding so that, you know, even when the, you know, the athlete leaves the official program, they can take that knowledge further, you know, into the rest of their lives and apply it on a day to day basis.
0: Which is, which is super. So so tell me about the, the traffic light system, because this is, this is a sort of platform that you use for, for all of your athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) traffic lights are red green and well, amber if you're english but let's go a uh, yellow in american so tell me how you approach it what
1: the story is are they yellow? Are they? I might have to orange. change
0: that orange. I <laughs> orange. It, what do the Americans say? I can I don't even know now. Scott, I think, I think so. it's
1: red. I think it's red, orange, green. So. Red, red, orange, green. There. Yeah, yeah. A, well, I'm so.
0: I, I'm trying to get out of this amber thing, which is obviously my my life growing up, and it's it's a bit like tomato. It's very hard
1: to change. You know. <laughs> potato, potato. Yeah, Um exactly. Look the. So when I work with an athlete, what, what I try and establish is that protein, firstly, is very important for endurance athletes. And um, it is astounding how few endurance athletes utilize protein. I think the, the misnomer with something like protein is that it's for people who go to the gym, who want to build muscle. And, you know, I was reading, actually, I was reading a really interesting review on the importance of protein for endurance athletes the other day. And what I was talking about was that there, there is a difference in how those amino acids actually work for differing athletes. So if you're a power athlete, you're someone who goes to the gym, you're causing a lot of muscle damage through resistance training, lifting weights and things, those proteins act more um, as structural proteins and go into repairing broken down tissue. Um, to build more muscle. Yet with the endurance athlete, what you're seeing with amino acids or consumption of protein and when they break down into those amino acids, those amino acids are actually going into mitochondrial function. So they're becoming amino acids to help with the structure of the mitochondria. Now, the mitochondria, in, in the simplest way of thinking about them, they're your energy factories. So what you're seeing with endurance athletes is those who consume more protein are actually then supporting their mitochondria in a better way. And so in actual fact, probably helping their endurance performance. And, you know, protein in that, and like when you start to think about protein in a different way, it's not just about muscle and it's not just myocentric. Actually protein for an endurance athlete could be one of the things that actually allows them to push harder, for harder, longer, faster for, for a greater period of time. And yet that, myth about protein is just for you know gym monkeys is something that i i have to i don't necessarily have to work very hard to get through it's more like you need to take this and once you start taking it you will feel much much better and 100 of clients when we increase their protein intake to you know somewhere around that 1.6 to maybe two two and a bit grams per kilo body weight they instantly feel different and, and, you know, you can talk about that gratification or satisfaction with it. It actually is probably one of the nutritional, um, sort of changes or elements of the program where I, I do believe that endurance athletes do start to feel better. They recover faster. They, they don't get as sore. They start to feel just generally better. So protein is, yeah, first and foremost, so protein will go through there. Um, we keep that fairly set. And so, Individual athletes won't have to, uh, you know, think about their protein intake changing on a daily basis. Same for their fat. I tend to keep fat at a fairly uh, standard rate, and and if just for you know argument's sake, we might keep it at one one gram per kilo body weight. The carbohydrates and the traffic light system really relates to. Um, you know, some really interesting papers that have been produced by uh, John Moore's um, University in Liverpool and Dr. James Morton, whereby they really refer to the work required. And so what you're trying to do with an athlete is get them to understand better how how much carbohydrates do you need for what you're trying to achieve. Now, what that means is Think about how many carbohydrates you need either before the session, during the session or after the session in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve. So if your ultimate goal is probably, you know, body composition and you're trying to get some weight down, the amount of carbohydrates being utilized should be tailored to just what is required at that point in time and to ultimately put you into a calorie deficit. However, if like you're, you know, I can think of several sessions where, you know, on the weekends in particular with your athletes, you know, it's sort of the go-to sessions. Then they need to be thinking about how are they going to fuel themselves for those sessions, and that that may involve thinking about carbohydrate intake the day before the session. Certainly, at least the uh, the feed. Um, directly before the session, and then during that session, how many carbohydrates are they taking on board in order to perform at the best. And so the, the traffic light system effectively is a red is is very low carbohydrate, 30 grams or less, orange is around 50 grams, and green is sort of go-to time, and that's 100 grams. And it just becomes very uh, intuitive for for the client when they're working with that system, and they start to better understand what's going on.
0: it's it's nice because you sort of have your your building blocks as it were your your stable which is hey this is the this is the protein for all sorts of reasons this is the anchor point you need your fat for a host of reasons uh, everything from immune system cellular health etc daily function and those are pretty consistent for the most part and then the lever that you have which is you know no more complex apart from someone as dumb as me that can 't get the color right but um, <laughs> but the colors of a of a, a stoplight or a traffic light and uh, and so that's the level that 's the lever that you 're sort of managing dependent on athlete, depending on goal, depending on session, etc. But when it sort of breaks it down it's, it creates that aha moment in a way it 's like i don 't need to overthink it it seems like it seems like a tool to. <clears throat> take out some of the complexity or the you must eat this many grams of quinoa and if you have a tortilla and then you will wilt away and die type thing.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly. And I think one of the things I have learned from working with a number of different athletes is that I can't tell you what you're going to like. So one thing I think that's very important for you know client or you know people listening is that I don't prescribe a diet. I don't I don't believe in prescribing a diet I can certainly assist with you know providing um, you know menu ideas recipes things like that like you know they get a monthly recipe book which is color coded so that it has the same you know notion of red red orange green but you know I don't know what's in your fridge I can, again I can tell you that okay these are the stock standard items I would have in the pantry in the fridge and be prepared for that but ultimately like if you feel like having eggs on that morning with, a, you know, a garden with a beautiful salad or you feel like having, um, you know, it, maybe it's uh, with some toast because that's going to give you some carbohydrates versus you wanting to have oatmeal on that day because that's what you feel like having. I don't care as long as the nutrition it is providing is hitting those targets I've told you or been recommending. And that, that's so important because then the athlete is dictating what they're eating and learning. Oh, okay. So I could have two bits of whole wheat toast, and that's going to provide, and with some jam, and that's going to provide me with like forty grams, or you know, close to fifty grams of carbs. Or I can have rolled oats with maybe a scoop of protein in it, and a little bit of Greek yogurt and some berries, and that's going to give me you know fifty grams of carbs as well. And so you know, there's that flexibility in the program, which I, I think is the sustainability element of it.
0: Well, it, it cannot become habitual if it's, it, it's very similar to training. You're, you're trying to create consistency, sustainability, uh, and it, it's not enough, I don't think, for very similar to the way that we coach. We really want athletes to understand the why mm. so that they can self-manage. And it, it sounds like that's exactly the same for you. Is there's, there's this educational process so that you can be habit-forming so that they then have the tools to self-manage in whatever situation where they travel internationally, which of course is happening less at the moment, but or or have eating out at a restaurant, they start to have some concept of how to self-manage.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, what happens if I'm prescribing, you know, on Wednesday night you're you're to have a steak with a sweet potato and, I don't know, whatever, some zucchini or something like that, and you go to a restaurant and there's no steak on the menu. What happens? You freak out. So, but if if they recognise that, oh, okay, two hundred grams of chicken is pretty much the same as two hundred grams of a steak in terms of protein content. Oh, I I could have that, or I could have white fish, and instead of sweet potato, I could have some potatoes, or I could have some quinoa or buckwheat, whatever it is, whatever grain it is. And instead of zucchini, I could have you know. Uh, you know, a fresh garden salad and I still get, you know, roughly the same amount of macronutrients and the energy out of that meal. And, and just, I mean, for me, it makes sense to have that flexibility and, it, you know, whether you talk about flexible dieting or whatever, whatever term there is currently in social media, it's, uh, you know, it, it provides, it empowers the athlete to make the choices as opposed to me dictating what it is.
0: Well, I know that we're. Um, I know that we are going to do more than one round of this, and uh, and I know that we've already been chatting. I do want to finish today with some practical advice, and yeah. uh, and so we're going to go through three to five <coughs> questions, and then what we'll do is we'll give each other a virtual hug, pause it, and then we're going to carry on probably next week. But um, uh, because we have a lot more to discuss in this most important subject but let's do a little bit of quick hit stuff to finish the day and uh, and i think that will be valuable to uh, to people so i'm going to ask you a few quick questions that you can give that could be in themselves volumes of answers but i'm going to ask for, for pretty quick answers okay um here's the first one how important is spacing meals throughout the day so does it, does it play any role in improving metabolic burn, for example?
1: Yeah. Okay. So certainly in terms of metabolic burn, the studies that looked at that were very tightly controlled in terms of total calorie intake. And I think what we we now know as practitioners that eating multiple meals isn't going to <clears throat> stoke the, you know, the metabolic burn or the metabolism. So you can forget that role of spacing meals in terms of, Consistent feeds in terms of protein certainly appears to be some benefit in that in terms of recovery and improving, say, immune function. Um, Total protein intake across the course of 24 hours is probably still the overriding factor. So, ensuring that you get your total amount of protein in. The role of spacing that out throughout the day probably just means it's a little bit easier to get in. In terms of combining things like carbohydrates and protein into those feeds together after, you know, certain exercise sessions. Yes, it will probably improve um, the rate at which you uh, utilize those macronutrients, vitamins and minerals. But again, I don't think anyone needs to be like so focused on, okay, I need to eat every two hours or three hours.
0: Okay. Interesting. Here's here's one for you. High fat, low carb, low cap, high fat. It is the rage at the moment, as is veganism, by the way. But uh,
1: what's your take on it?
0: What does the science say? What do you think about it?
1: Um, So the science says that it certainly does not improve performance. Um, What does social media say? Uh, Very different. Um, I think high fat, low carb could have a place. It can improve fat oxidation so you can improve the rate at which you utilize fat as a fuel source and that will be a higher peak but what we also see is that when you go into a high fat low carb diet consistently especially for a prolonged period of time you then have a negative effect on your ability to use carbohydrates as a fuel source and what we do know is that carbs are going to be king when it comes to performing at high levels so you might have the short-term benefit of improving your fat utilization. Maybe you will drop some body comp. Maybe you will get a six-pack. But ultimately, your ability then to utilize carbohydrates when you actually need them, when you're getting into those zone three, four, five sort of, you know, periods of time either in training or racing, they're probably going to be diminished. So structuring in high-fat, low-carb with maybe specific carbohydrate feeds during the week could be the way of offsetting that. Um, look, it, the high-fat, uh, low-carb sort of rage in terms of the physiological adaptations and what it was proposed to do. I think we're starting to see that it, it may not be, you know, this this amazing sort of panacea to to make you an, an incredible athlete. I think it could play some role based on the context and what the specific goals are of that athlete.
0: That's a, that's a great answer. I'm going I'm to finish by. Throwing the, the real triathletes a bone here. What, what's the biggest mistake that you see for
1: triathletes around their race fueling? I think the biggest mistake I am seeing in terms of race fueling is that no one ever practices it. So they go from, I mean, you go back to the high fat, low carb. Uh, you know, I can think of a number of athletes I've worked with where that is what they've been doing. And then they're going into a race and thinking they're going to be able to consume a gel or three blocks or some form of carbohydrate every 15 to 20 minutes and not expect to get, you know, absolute gastrointestinal distress. So the biggest mistake I see is that no one, or certainly not enough people are practicing their race fueling strategy within training. Super.
0: Part two, Scott, because we're not going to have to go through any of the foundational stuff. In In part two of this discussion, we are going to dig deep. We're going to do some case studies. Um, I'm going to ask you to talk about one of uh, my executive athletes that you've worked with, and I think it will be really revealing for us to go through case studies. We're going to dive into hydration and the role of uh, hydration that I think will important and some real practical advice around and discussion, I think, for both of us around fad diets, macronutrients, sugar consumption. We've got so much more to do, but but we would be here all day. So I think the best thing to do is for us to do a little pause. Uh, it's a great introduction. And then next week, come back and go right into the juicy sides of nutrition, pardon the pun. And so... Let's uh, let's hold there. It's a, it's a super discussion. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I want you to, I want to thank you for joining us so far. And I I really look forward to also carrying the conversation on as we carry on with, uh, with performance nutrition.
1: Yeah. Thanks Maddie. I think um, as you said, there, there's so much to cover and you know, I, I hope, uh, I hope the accent's not putting too many people (laughs) off that uh, (laughs) listening to us, but I think, there is so much to to get out there and to try and explore and to explain you know and as i said like one thing i have noticed recently is there there are so many obviously there's a a lot of podcasts out there and there's a lot of technical information and i think the technical aspect is very very interesting for you know people who potentially have a science background but i you know talking to friends and um and and athletes it's like they just want to understand it. Not necessarily like all the deep science behind it, but just that pra- how how does it apply to them and what are the practical ways in which they can make those changes? And so I think if we can get into that, I think it will be, you know, really, really great. And Yeah, I'm do sure it. we can. Exactly. Let's do
0: it. Let's go 100% applied next week. I think it will be great. We are going to go with a whole episode next week. Here's our commitment to each other whole episode next week around practical nutrition and applied into daily life as well as sports performance and it will be terrific but but i tell you what thank thank you today i absolutely love the the stoplight or the traffic light system i i, I love the ethos and the platform it's no wonder that uh we're so excited to be working with each other i think that we see the world of performance through a very similar lens so I appreciate it. and it would be remiss of me right now before we carry on with part two I, I also Scott want to thank you for all the great work that you did with Sarah over the last couple of years of her career but also the rest of of the Purple Patch athletes that you've helped thus far I'm, I'm sure you'll be helping many more.
1: Uh, it's, an, it's an absolute pleasure working with you and your team and your athletes Maddie. it's uh, it's really really enjoyable.
0: Good fun well we're uh I'm lucky to be surrounded by smart people and, uh, and I count you as, uh, as one of in the inner circle. So appreciate it. And for listeners at home, we will uh, be talking to Scott next week and we'll be diving into the applied side of performance nutrition. Thanks so much, Scotty. Thanks, Matty. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review the show. The Apple Podcasts link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers!